So I've had receptionist jobs. I mean, I worked front desk at the Campus Center Hotel at UMass. But before then, I was cleaning rooms at UMass. And I'm glad I have had every experience that I had um, because I think it just helped me and shaped me for today. My father told me life is not a bit this is Origins Africa podcast, where we explore the origin stories of people who have made and are making their dreams come true, asking the what, the when, the how, and the why. I'm Oshaye, and on this episode, we meet Buki George Taylor, the founder and managing director of Robert Taylor Media, rebranded from the Bobby Taylor Company. This is the first of a two-part conversation you will hear Buki talk about her early exposure to the world of PR as a kid and how she hadn't realized that she could make a career out of it. Buki will also talk about leaving Nigeria for the United States at the age of 15, her early careers, as well as the birth of My Call app, Africa's first social calendar app. Tim Ferriss, number one New York Times bestselling author and host of the Tim Ferriss Show podcast, in his latest book, Tools of Titans, talked about the tactics, routines, and habits of billionaires, icons, and world-class performers. From his research with over 200 world-class performers, Tim concluded that, and I quote, humans are imperfect creatures. You don't succeed because you have no weaknesses. You succeed because you find your unique strengths and focus on developing habits around them. End of quote. However, for many people, finding these unique strengths upon which to develop habits or build a career could be a Herculean task. That is because these strengths come so naturally to us that we fail to recognize them and end up taking them for granted not realizing that they are unique strengths that we can develop and build into successful careers. Bookie George Taylor faced that same challenge on her journey towards becoming the strategic communications and special events expert, public speaker, and entrepreneurial coach that she is today. Bookie was born into the world of PR and it came naturally to her. I like to say that I was born into it it, it comes very natural for me. Um, my mom, obviously, being a major um, factor, the fact that she studied public relations and comms, has a master's from Boston University. Um, and so my home and just growing up was very, very eventful. If we had, if we weren't having an art show, I was on a plane, you know, as a young girl doing ads for Nigeria Airways um, or my mom's met up with Ben Bruce and Ben Bruce wants me to sing in the opening of the most beautiful girl in Nigeria so I'm in um, what's the name of our place in the Sulu there? National Theatre National Theatre How was the experience for you oh, with you? Oh it was dope and that was the year that Nick and Shinoa won Ah Yes So my school was invited at the time and we sang this song, Isn't She Lovely? Um, yeah, so I did that. Do you still sing? No. My <laughs> voice is destroyed. <laughs> I used to. I used to be a good singer when I was in secondary school. You know when we used to do social nights uh-huh. and miming and everything? Uh-huh. I, I was in there with a cute sweat. <laughs> um, so I had a very, very colorful childhood. I mean, my... Um, when we had USA 94, Nigeria Airways was the official airline and my mom was um, general manager marketing for Nigeria Airways. So she handled the partnership with the Super Eagles and Nigeria Airways, um, you know, down to like where they stayed and all the different activity. And I got to be a part of that. So I've kind of always been in the mix. Mm. So even when I went to secondary school, I mean, quickly, social prefect. Standard. Interesting. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Social people organizing the baddest social nights, bruh. Like, 
And I know you were, or you are also smart, and you've been smart from <laughs> since you were a kid. So how were you able to balance that? You know oh. what? I've had, I don't know how I do it. And very interestingly, my son's the same way. I bring home straight A's. Mm. I mean, even when I was in college, I was on the dean's list, a lot of honor society, all of that. But still extremely socially active. Always organizing one thing or the other or being in the middle of something is just what I do, mm. how I function. So Okay. With this early exposure into the world of PR, um, how did it affect your worldview from that young age? What impressions did it leave you with? What perspectives did you form from that young age? You know, I think that as a young girl doing all of this, I mean, I just... You know, I remember times my mom would come home from work and, and she's like, I'm on TV, I'm on TV, I'm sitting next to this one. And then we're all there watching TV. I'm like, whoa, that's so cool. Or she'd come out in the newspaper and they'd write Mama K, Nigeria Airways MD woman. And I'd see that, I'd be like, huh. Um, so then now growing up, getting into secondary school, organizing stuff, you know, um, I didn't even realize what I was doing was anything. I knew how to publicize anything. Mm. I could make anybody buy anything. I can tell you this water here <laughs> is the holy water <laughs> 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 from somewhere. You believe me, right? Um, moving on into college and I'll never forget my mom came to visit me um, one term, one semester and she brought me Tape. I can't remember if it was a tape or a CD. And it was Tribesmen. Mm. LD and the rest of them. And I remember looking at the back of it and there was a phone number. And they called. And it was LD that actually picked up. And I said, hi, my name is Buki. I'm calling you from the US. Like, I didn't know that Nigeria were making jams like this now and X, Y, and Z. There's an event called the Nigerian Reunion that happens every 4th of July in the US. I'm going to push your name forward and blah, blah. Are you guess what? Him in and you know, so I've always been involved in that stuff. I didn't see it as a job. Mm. It's just kind of stuff that I've always done um, until I decided to formalize it and register my company when I was twenty-five. Today, Buki is the founder and managing director of Robert Taylor Media, rebranded from the Bobby Taylor Company, a company she started in Canada at the age of twenty-five. And she has, over the past 10 years, conveyed relatable and unique brand stories to targeted audiences, communities, and stakeholders, providing a representation for global brands looking to penetrate the African markets, whilst driving some of the biggest brand activation and campaigns in the country. Amongst them are Dubai Tourism, Moet Hennessy, Fela on Broadway, Lagos Social Media Week, GT Fashion Week, Itana PLC, British Petroleum, Debange, LD, MI, and many others. Buki has also been featured on publications such as Forbes Africa, Business Day CEO Magazine, These Day Style, Genevieve Magazine, among others. But initially, even though Buki had been born into the world of PR, because it came naturally to her, she hadn't realized that she could make a career out of it. You will hear Buki talk about this soon. In fact, as a kid, Buki's dream was to be an investigator. I wanted to be an investigator. Okay, investigator in what? And you can blame that on Secret 7, Famous 5, and Nancy Drew. I just wanted to solve crime. Oh. I wanted to, I thought, in fact, my brother, if you're listening to this, Femi, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I made Femi join me on adventures that weren't even there. Like, we would just make stuff up. Like, I'll see a pair of slippers and I'll be like, Femi, whose slippers is that? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> this is my brother, two years younger than me. <laughs> Poor kid. He's like, I don't know. I'm like, we have to investigate. <laughs> oh, no. We're bringing out paper, we're writing shoe, or found here, slippers. Where is the second leg? Bruh. I had the biggest and the wildest mm. imaginations, and I entertained myself. And I took my brother along 
all my biggest imaginary stuff. You know, all the kids in the neighborhood that were ready. Okay, what small case are we solving today? Okay. Like, guys, let's walk around. Why is the neighbor talking to six people? Who are, I swear we almost got in trouble. But I had a massive imagination. But it's so interesting how my big imagination and my love for books and my love for stories has is very, very reflected on my ability to write amazing press releases. Mm. And I'm able to describe stuff, you know, and, and that's how I'm able to sell anything. And I'm able to, you know, curate the perception for any brand because I have a massive imagination. I can pull together a campaign. I can see it. And I will execute it. So does, yes, it came naturally, but did you need to hone it as well? Trainings and I stuff? I mean, obviously, with education, with everything else and your knowledge of the industry, you will obviously know how to not go overboard. Because, I mean, back then, I used to tell my brother to sit with me on a chair and that we would fly to New York. That's not going to happen, mm-hmm. right? So, with the big imaginations... Um, you obviously use PR tactics and, and things that you learn and all of that to make sure that you're building the right campaigns and you're, you know, talking about, you know, the relevant things that the brand wants their target audiences to know. Um, but having an imagination, I say, is something that is extremely important in this field. Bookie is also the founder of Africa's first social calendar app, MyCrawl which launched earlier this year in March. According to Buki, it is that same imagination that comes naturally to her that gave birth to Crawl App. But how did it happen? Crawl App was my imagination of, Buki, everybody calls you for where to go. From, from Tuesday, your phone is blowing up. Yeah, Buki, so... um. I, uh, one of my friends wants to do dinner somewhere, but they want somewhere a little bit private, but the place still needs to have some music um, and the place has to be very, very wine friendly. And I'm like, okay, OT's place. Boom. Um, okay, yeah, me and the boys want to go out partying and um, we don't want everyone to see us, but we want a place where we can dance. I'm like, okay, so I'm going to call Obi Kubana. Mm. You know, I have studied the entire city in terms of social experiences. And I said, you know what? This is enough. I'm calling my friend Shagun. Shagun, we need an app. We need a directory. This app is really not that complicated. I can't imagine how many people have seen the app and are like, this girl, this, the right? You know, this is super easy. It's like having a bloody directory. And then there's a lot of work. It took us about two years. We went through three app developers, you know, to find the right look, the right feel. And it doesn't stop. This is not an app that you build and it's going on its own. People are constantly wanting to see different things, different experiences. So it means that my eye too is is on the ball. Um, You can't open the app and you're seeing the exact same thing every week. It has to change. There's a lot of content management. But it took two years. Yeah, two years. Why? All the right images. There's over a hundred and something different social experiences there. Restaurant, bars everywhere. Finding where our best yoga classes are. I had to experience all of these places firsthand. Oh, I see. The app describes everywhere uniquely. Okay. Um, Yeah, it was a while. There were some times where we kind of almost gave up. So there'll be dead air for like three months. And then Chevron will call and say, what's going on with our app? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, let's start again. And then we start again. And then there's okay. dead air again. So, yeah, it took so a while. So, both of you complimented yourselves. Yeah, if yeah, If it had yeah. been just you, yeah, you probably yeah. would never have And then we have Eze, too. Eze is just a whiz to okay. the whole tech space and the entertainment space as well. So, I had to call him in. And that's when, you know, you learn that you try to do stuff yourself. You might never get it off the ground. But then you need to bring in the people that complement where you don't have certain strengths. And that's exactly what I did. Um, I just called my boys. 
<laughs> to download the app, simply go to Play Store or App Store on your phone and search for Crawl App. Now, albeit Buki had grown up self-confident in an affirming household. My mother is an evil woman. Okay. And when you have an unnatural woman raising you, you're going to be all right. I couldn't help but wonder if her early exposure into the world of peer as a young girl had had any unintended negative impact or if she had developed any insecurities. I think, I mean, obviously I think there were insecurities because, you know, I had a very fun but at the same time strict mom who was very into her world of, of cons. And so public perception was something that was extremely important to her. And we learned that from a very young age. You can't sound like that. You have to sit like that. How you're perceived, all of that kind of stuff. And I think that that might have put some pressure in me caring about public perception. Because that's, I mean, that's part of the big deal when it comes to cons and PRs, managing the perception of the public on your brand, whether they're trusting it, whether they're liking it, whether they're buying it. So I'm very, very self-aware, which can be extremely tiring. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think hopefully you didn't get to a point where you were too focused on external perception. I'm constantly calculated. Okay. Yeah. So that's not particularly a very nice thing, but it is what it is. Um, And it's some of the things that, you know, I work on and I struggle with. Um, But yes, you're self-aware as a publicist, because I'm constantly dealing with and managing the perception of the public on any of my clients' brands. So it's almost inevitable that I'm doing it to myself as well. So sometimes only my friends and only those that are super close to me get a glimpse of what Buki's really like. But then I think that it... So before we started talking... That was Buki. Yeah. But then, no, before we started um, um, the show, that, that was Buki. But I can bet you nobody except my inner circle has ever seen me in that light. I have my game face on 24-7. And it can be tiring. Because I was about to ask, doesn't yeah. it get stressful? No, it does. It's tiring. But then, of course, I have good friends that allow me just unleash. Like, I'm a major clown. You don't know that. <laughs> you just see, ah, look here, but we tell you, hey, you me. With that guy. <laughs> I can make all of you laugh. Put me on stage. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. At the age of 15, Bookie gained admission to the University of Massachusetts to study psychology. Was it her desire to be an investigator that prompted this since she hadn't realized then that she could make a career out of PR? You know what? I don't know why I studied psychology now that I think about it. If I could go back, I would have studied comms. Right. But it just didn't occur to me that half of the stuff I was doing was comms. I see. Because it was so natural and it was so what I was used to seeing every day anyway. Is it that you didn't think you could build a career out of it? I don't think I realized. But first of all, we have to first of all give attention to the fact that I was 15. I doubt that anyone really knows what they want to do at 15. I started off as a psych major. By the time I read two textbooks, (laughs) (laughs) or (laughs) Matthew. I was like, ah, yeah, nah, this ain't working. Mm. And I ended up studying African-American history, which was absolutely phenomenal. Now, while in Afro-Am 101 class one day as a psychology major, Buki had heard her professor declare that about 80% of slaves had been from Nigeria. Buki had been so shocked and intrigued that she decided to switch her major from psychology to African-American history. Bruh, I'm like, no, no, we're British, you know, the British colonized us, you know, we know Mary Mitchell Slessor and Lord Lugard. What are you talking about? What slaves? <laughs> ah! And that's when I was like, okay, changing major. Um, I feel bad that I had to leave Nigeria to study that. Mm. I think that it should definitely be in our curriculum. 
um, from everything from Elauda Equiano, from Booker T. Washington versus W.E.B. Du Bois, <clears throat> which is what we're going through right now, um, to visiting major African art galleries in New York, King Calibur, all of those things. I was very, very into it. You know, we had a course called The Writings of Chino Achebe. There's no reason why that stuff is not here. And his kids went to UMass. Okay. But The Writings of Chino Achebe is an actual course at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. Interesting. Yeah. There's no reason why it's not a, a course here. And that's one of the things that kills me. And I pray that one day all my boys, all you guys <laughs> get into power mm. because we need a full rebrand. I agree. Of the entire country. I agree. Yeah, we need to kind of focus on our own stuff. Did you need to tell your mom before changing or you decided that? She anyway? never knew until I graduated. Why? Without a video. Yeah, she found out much later. And how did she take it then? Ah, she was fine. I think she'll be okay. So, what did studying African American history do for Buki as a student? Um, it made me look at the average African American as my long lost brother mm. and sister. That's how I saw it. I didn't see myself different from them at all. Um, it now gave me a deeper insight as to their social issues, behavioral patterns and history and, and um, oppression and all of those things. It gave me a very, very deep insight. And I always tell people and I advise people that you know if you're moving to another country, I know it's comfortable to find your own Niger crew and stay there, but it's not actually the smartest thing to do. It's actually smart to get deep into the culture and understand whatever it is that you're doing in that country. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that I did. I mean, I had friends from Haiti. Um, I had friends from Dominican Republic. Um, and then, of course, my African-American friends as well which is what propelled me to join the illustrious <laughs> Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority mm. Incorporated. Um, president of my chapter in school, vice president of the Black Student Union, vice president of the NP uh, National Panhellenic Council. I got involved. I also minored in women's studies. Um, my my direction with women's studies was actually studying African-American women and the judicial system. So some of my courses actually permitted me to go into the prisons, seeing a lot of women that were in jail for crimes that their boyfriends committed or assisting their boyfriends in doing certain things. You know, and just hearing some really, really deep stories women giving birth in jail mm. and all of that kind of stuff. It was a very, very big eye-opener for me. Okay. So none of this stuff was exactly very PR-related, but... Um, at that point, had you started considering PR as no, a career? No. no. What were you considering at that point? I was going to be a professor. Oh, professor of what? African-American history okay. and African studies. Okay. So there was a PhD program that after you graduated from UMass Amherst, a five-year PhD program. That was the plan. Okay. And then my friends called me to come for a party in Washington. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that was the end of that. Oh. I'm kidding. Um, but there was a PhD program that would have allowed me to start to do that. Okay. Um, at UMass. I wanted to be a professor at the time. I wanted to teach. I wanted to be part of... The, the, there was an organization at UMass, and it's not there anymore, it's called SEBS. Okay. Committee for the Collegiate Education for Blacks and Minority Students. Okay. When I entered the university, I entered through SEBS. Oh, okay. SEBS was my mentor. Okay. It was led by a woman called Doris Clemens. Um, gosh, I remember everybody there now. You're taking me back. Oh. <laughs> That's the idea. Alexander <laughs> Seymour, all of these lovely women who, when I got into UMass, first meeting I had was to go to Seb's office. They introduced me to my peer counselors. Okay. Who now 
you know, walk me through choosing the right class, everything, showing me which dorm where all the black kids were. Mm. You know, we had, <laughs> there was this hall, dorm, um, and there was a particular floor called Harambe. And that's where you'd find the other Africans, you know, people from Kenya and everything else. Um, but, you know, SEBS gave me that insight. They held your hand. I had to report there weekly to let them know how my courses were going and all of that. And that was a support system that they gave to minority students. Okay. Yeah. They had their own building. They, it was called the New Africa House and all of that. So during the summers, I would also volunteer for SEBS. Okay. Um, I became a peer counselor myself. Okay. And we would stay back and do a program for minority students that were coming into UMass. And we would do skits to talk about sex and AIDS and all of that stuff and STDs. We would do skits to talk about, you know, managing your finances. You know, we would have one-on-one sessions with people. You know, these new kids coming to school as freshmen were allowed to talk to us and ask us questions about the university and all of that. We had our t-shirts and everything and we were just these bunch of people that dedicated that time. Um, During the summers as well, I dedicated time to the Upward Bound program. The Upward Bound program, oh man, (laughs) was a program that was put together. I can't remember her name right now. Spanish woman, actually. It was a program that came into the university, came into UMass. And it would allow inner city youth from high school come and live on campus for two weeks. Okay. Take a college course and see what it's like to go to college. And the purpose of the Upward Bound program was to inspire these young kids to want to go to college. Oh, okay. Because the U.S. obviously has an issue with people just stopping at high school and then going on to get a job. And, you know, staying in that. And if you're lucky, you've got an experience and you can move up. But this was preaching, finish high school, apply and go to college. So I spent three summers also with the Upward Bound program. None of those kids knew I was their age. I was exactly their age and even younger. How old were you? I started the Upward Bound program when I was 16. Okay. So I did it at 16, 17, and 18. The typical high school student in grade 12 is 18, 17, 18. Some of these kids were my age. But there I was doing busting, lights out, 10 o'clock, lights out, everybody go to bed. No, no boys in the girls' room, no girls in the boys' room. Okay, today this is the activity, this is what we're doing, this is who's coming to speak to you, teach you about financial aid, talk to you about the Divine Nine, which is the fraternities and sororities college experience, all of that stuff. Mm. You know, there was one particular girl that stuck out to me. Her name was Jessica Vasquez. She's gone on to become a police officer. She lives in Tampa. We had lunch last, no, 2019 summer and all of that. So I still see some of, quote unquote, my kids. Interesting. Yes, I'm still in touch with some of them. Um, Jessica was that quiet boy. She's like, I ain't got time for this. No, I ain't doing this, blah, blah. I was like, listen, calm down. Uh, not doing what? Of course you go to school. Of course you do. Like, like, are you mad? <laughs> you know, I couldn't even understand. Like, what do you mean? And you know what? She went on. She went on to college. She did all this amazing stuff. And she's doing really well. So the Upward Round is definitely a program. Her name is Dr. Sonia Korea, <laughs> The okay. founder of the Upward Round program for, um, for uh, the one that we used to come up to UMass. So yeah, my life was pretty active. But unconsciously from this program, you were honing your leadership skills, Possibly. how to influence people, Possibly. public speaking Possibly. and stuff like that. Yeah. And which is why I tell people like, let your kids get involved in school. Allow them. Let them join all, whatever groups, whatever it is that they want to be, belong to, let them do it. You know? I agree. Because in school... I also joined ISEC. I don't know if you're familiar with mm-hmm. ISEC. 
it's actually the well as a then I don't know if now the world's largest student organization. No way. As a then it was one twenty four countries. Wow. I think there about so we had ISEC in OAU IFA. Wow. So it exposed me to life in the corporate sector. We're having meetings, like ex- like executive meetings within the circles. We're going out to sell to corporate organizations, establish partnerships with them. Sure. So it helped in honing my skills as well. And I, can, I, I, and I always tell people, please expose yourself to as many things as yeah. possible while in university. Totally. It was good. I don't know why I was interested in those kinds of things, um, but it was important to me at the time. You know, I kind of possibly took on UMass as my clients without knowing. <laughs> without okay. knowing. When it was important to you at the time, or what do you mean? Um, it was important for me to make a difference. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I needed to do that. Um, I wanted to be that all-rounded college girl. Okay. You know, I mean, even with the sorority, because I was president of my chapter, um, breast cancer walks, everything, we did it, you know, because the organization forces you, not forces you, makes you send in your, your grades at the end of the term. And if you're falling below a certain GPA, you are made inactive. So when people see sororities and, and fraternities and they're thinking that, you know, uh, calls member, bruh, we had to complete programs, mm. five different targets every semester. We had to send in reports, your grades and all of that stuff. So it kind of forces, no, it kind of molds you um, into this amazing um, college woman mm. um, with big ambitions and, and whatnot. So if anyone's listening and your kids <laughs> are in, in, in school, especially in the U.S., Please encourage them to join one of the Divine Nines. <laughs> and it has to be the Divine Nines. Alpha Phi Alpha, Kappa Alpha Psi, Alpha Kappa Alpha, Delta Sigma Theta, Iota Phi Theta, Sigma Gamma Rho, Theta Phi Beta, Phi Beta Sigma, Omega Psi Phi. Uh, who have I left out? The Divine Nine. Just Google the Divine Nine. And in Nigeria, I know there is Isaac, there is Anansa, uh-huh. there is JCI. More black brown. <laughs> I didn't tell anybody to join the sisters of the black brown. Yeah, and sisters so. of the black brown, no rest, no beef, so don't come for me. Relocating to another country on your own is often a tough experience. Now, Bookie had been 15 years old when she moved to the University of Massachusetts for her undergraduate program. So she became an adult pretty quickly. How was the experience for Buki and what were some of the challenges she faced? Find out after this short break. I'm Oshaye and you're listening to Origins Africa podcast. Hi, dear listener. If you love our show, please leave us a review on iTunes and Apple podcast. You can also send us a tweet or comment on Instagram at Origins AF. We love to read from you. Nope, not later. Yes, I read your mind. Do it now. Thanks a lot. Also, click the subscribe button and share with a friend. Let's make a difference together, one origin story at a time. Catch our one-to-one newsletter where we share with you one lesson two quotes and one question from each episode published you'll find it at originsafrica.substack.com originsafrica.substack.com if you like it please click the like button leave a comment share with a friend and subscribe also you can now watch video snippets of some of our guest interviews Simply go to Origins Africa Podcast on YouTube, Origins Africa Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, like our videos and share. Let's make a difference together, one origin story at a time. Hi guys, welcome back to Origins Africa Podcast. So at 15, Buki traveled to the United States to commence our undergraduate program. How did she find it? I think I had a bit of a soft landing because, I mean, my mom's brother lives in the U.S. Okay. Um, so when I got there, 
I did one term of high school. Okay. Because he didn't think I was ready at oh, that age. Oh, okay. So I did high school for one term, which was an absolute disaster. I hated it. I went to Marlboro High. Okay. Yeah, and everybody called me Brandy because my hair was braided from Lagos. But that's, oh. yeah, I'm like, no. Just because my hair is braided doesn't mean I look like Brandy. <laughs> um, so just did that for a term, just to kind of get me into the system before okay. um, I was shipped off uh, okay. to college. Um, I don't think it was that much of a big deal, honestly. I wouldn't do it with my child, send my child to school or anything like that. At that age, I wouldn't do it. But schools are not even the same anymore for me to have that confidence. Back then, boarding school, UMass would have been a joke. We went from 20 girls in one room, 10 bed, 10 bed bunks with mosquito nets to AC and two of us in a room. That's a holiday. Are you kidding? I'm like, for real? <laughs> We're chilling. Mm. You know, went from slab of, of pavements and, and showers and carrying buckets to your own bathroom. Uh, no, no, no. Of course I would have survived. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't think that it was... It wasn't anything over. I was excited. Okay. I was super excited and I'll never forget. I didn't know there was anything wrong with being that age. Okay. And the first month at UMass, we had a newspaper called the Daily Collegian. And the Daily Collegian put out, you know, whatever issue that they had. And it says, UMass welcomes its youngest student. Um, and there's my name. So my name became Jailbait. Everybody called me Jailbait. Meant none of the guys talked to me. No one asked me out. No one took me on any, nothing. What, she's underage? If you touch her, you're going to jail. Oh. So my nickname was Jailbait. <laughs> yeah. That was the part that was hard, socially. And then if you know the US very well, you know that even in the clubs, you can't get until you're 18. Mm-hmm. 18 to get in, 21 to drink. So all my friends are going out and I couldn't go. I solved that pretty quickly. I won't say it on air, but um, <laughs> it was solved. It was, okay. it was handled. Okay. The matter was handled. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And are you also got jobs? Oh, yeah. Um, my first job was at the W.E.B. Dubois Library. Um, I was a student law librarian. Why did you feel the need to work though? Dude, listen, I was there, I'm like, wait, I can work and get dollars. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm not waiting for my mom <laughs> to send me mo- I can do all this stuff you asked me to do and you guys will give me a paycheck. Oh man, let's go, it's on. That was my spending money, my clothes money, and my bus money because I was a big tourists. Oh, I would I hop see. on the bus, buy a ticket and go to New York. Okay. Yeah. And go hang out with Banky W and Captain. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I know you got your apartment when you were 16? Yeah. I moved in. It wasn't my own apartment. It was a house. Okay. And I had my own room and there were other women and there were six of us and I was the only black girl. Okay. With these five amazing white women. We knew about it, we see by the time I was done. <laughs> yeah. So I moved out, I got my own place, I was paying my own rent. So school seemed like a pretty interesting adventure for Buki. But of course, it wasn't without its challenges. There were times where, because you see, I was at UMass as an international student. Okay. And there were times where my mom would call and say, I can't afford your school fees. Oh. Those times came can't afford your school fees, but I'm working on it. Don't worry, Bookie. And I would just be like, dang, like, what am I going to do? Um, so I would either drop some courses, so then taking lesser courses so that it's cheaper, or, you know, luckily for me, I'd moved out of the dorms, so didn't have to worry about that. And then, of course, I would work. I would work all summer long. I would work every holiday. Um, you know, and I think there was one really bad time where, you know, things were just really tough for her. 
here because that was, I mean, there was no more Nigeria and everything, she retired. Um, and I, you know, had started looking at applying for scholarships. You know, the sorority was extremely helpful as well because we have programs, we have an education fund. Um, I'll give you another example. There's something called a residential assistant and okay. anyone that's been to college in the States knows what an RA is. When you're an RA, you're almost like dorm prefect. Okay. So you get your own room and you get room and feeding free. So I was an RA. Okay. For, for a couple of years so that I could live on campus, still go to work. I had to take care of everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, I was there to enforce all the rules and regulations. You know, if someone's getting into a fight, if anything like that is happening, if I need to call 911, if I need to gather all the new students and, and take them on a tour through campus, those things I was responsible for. Um, and so I, I didn't have to pay okay. for that. Um, but you know, I, I think my mom was, she did, oh man, she did her ultimate best. And I was happy that I was focused enough to make her at least proud mm -hmm. of, of, you know, a sweat. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Yeah. So you graduated. Yes. Yeah. And at that point, you wanted to be a professor. Yeah. And then you went to Washington, D.C. So what happened? Uh, I moved to D.C. I was working in a law firm called Cadwallader, Wickersham and Taft. Okay. That was my introduction into like proper corporate America. Um, I worked there during the day and at night I waitressed okay. at Teddy Carpenter's House of Comedy. Oh. I don't think it exists anymore, but it's the Black Comedy Club. If you Google the name Teddy Carpenter, you'll see him. He's a very funny guy and has been in the comedy scene for so long. Okay. And I waitressed there at night and, and went to work. That's a lot of fun. What were you doing? I was an admin assistant. Okay. Most of my jobs and everything I did was admin. Admin assistant, executive assistant. Um, which has really helped me now even putting structure in my business. Um, and that's why, you know, I'm always fighting my admin. <laughs> Shout out to Kezaya. <laughs> We're always quarreling. I'm like, why do you not? No, listen. What's the process? Document your stuff. Okay, make me a, make me a, make me an admin folder. Let me know everything that happens. What do you mean you don't? You know, and it's just not a very common thing, but in the U.S., super common. Okay. Admin work, common. You start off receptionist, then you move to admin. Then you can either become an executive assistant to the CEO okay. and all of that. Okay. So I've had receptionist jobs. I mean, I worked front desk at the Campus Center Hotel at UMass. But before then, I was cleaning rooms at UMass. I've done all kinds of stuff. Mm. And that's why sometimes when I see people wanting to become an entrepreneur right away without a vast wealth of experience, I'm kind of like, uh, mm. you know, I hope you're ready. You know, you kind of need to know, you know, down to my office cleaner in my office, I know what she does. And I know what her days are like. And I know how to make her job easier. Because I've done it. You know, when I go to a club, when I go to a restaurant or anywhere and the waitress is doing rubbish, there's no need for me to shout. I tell them, listen, I've done your work before. This is not how it's done. If you're going to be late on my food, you can at least come and tell me that my food is coming. Mm. Or that there's been some delay in the kitchen can I give you some nuts? Or if you've made me wait for so long, then you're bringing that chef out to come and apologize to me from the kitchen. Because when I see the chef leaving the kitchen in a busy restaurant, I'm going to feel important. Mm, I'm going to feel good. I'm going to forgive you. True. So I pay attention to all of these things. Um, and I'm glad I have had every experience that I had. Um, because I think it just helped me and shaped me for today. But at that point, working as a, as an admin assistant, um, the goal then was to be a professor. So, right? Yeah, professor at the time and that I didn't want to do the PhD. I didn't okay. want to do the five years at UMass again. So you decided that whilst you're working as an admin assistant? No, before I graduated. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
So well, um, from the onset, when I got there, the whole plan was to become a professor. And then after school was over and life happened, and I found myself in D.C., Maryland, um, and I started working, the appeal to go back to school again was not there. I was thriving in my career as an administrator. What dreams did you have then? Or what were you looking to do at that point? I was, just I was 19. Okay. I had no dreams. I was working. I was making money. And okay. waitressing in a popular black comedy club. And then you're living, you know? There's a difference with how things are in the U.S. and here. Okay. Here, from the age of 19, 20, you're already thinking of your next move of how to hammer. We don't have those issues. Oh, okay. No, you're comfortable. You have a career. You know, because Yankee is easy now. There's no shocking surprises. Your light bill is coming. It's going to be $50 forever, every month. Your cable bill is 20 something, something, something is there. Your rent every month is this. Your salary pays it. You're living. You're meeting people. You're having fun. There's you're no doing pressure, all of that. Uh, no, not here. Where? <laughs> eh? Next month, 3.5 M. Where? We better start planning to become millionaires now so right. we can afford it. See how Nepa shocked us with this new bill. Uh-huh. What's that? <laughs> now. Okay. So I don't think that I was thinking too much. Okay. I was very involved in certain things. So for example, the Nigerian reunions. There was okay. an organization called NRC. Okay. Shout out to Shegu and Kumi Demuren. Um, every July 4th weekend, which is America's independence, NRC would pick a city and get a hotel and plan all of these activities for three days and all Nigerian students, everybody comes and ruins the hotel. Interesting. Okay. I don't think there's any hotel that ever allowed this come back there. (laughs) We were blacklisted from every hotel. (laughs) So I was working with them unofficially. Okay. Organizing and doing that helping them get in touch with the artist or suggesting certain entertainment and things like that. So that kept me busy a little bit. Um, How long did you do that for? Oh man, I think I did three reunions. New York, I did Houston, and I did Miami. Okay. Right? Yeah, and I did LA. Okay. Four. So unofficially just part of like tagging along the team, assisting where I could. And that was great. We got to meet everybody, you know, everybody from the reunions. I'm sure like if I put out, did anybody ever go to the Nigerian reunions? You see a good amount of people. Those are some of the most successful events that I'm Mm. shocked that it still does not exist. I see. So Kumi, if you're listening, please, we need another reunion (laughs) for the old G's. We're old now, you know, but it was good times. We connected. Mm. We were very, very well connected. And I guess it was also from there you are gradually building your um, network and contact with entertainers back here in Nigeria. Yeah. Um, LD would definitely take credit for kind of introducing me to the entertainment scene. Okay. Because I ended up becoming an LD's publicist. Okay. So everything I knew from writing writer contracts to product placements and things like that was LD. Okay. Yeah. Um, Did that be- happen after you started Bobby Taylor Company no, or before. before? Okay. Yeah. Before. Um, Bobby Taylor Company was formed a little bit after. But then, yeah, after working um, in the States, I, I moved to Canada. Okay. How long were you in the States for? Uh, I remember. <laughs> I left 2002. Okay. Three. Okay. 2003. Yeah, I think I left the US in 2003. Okay. Then you moved to Canada. Yes. Okay. I think he got married. Yes. Okay. Met a nice guy. Okay. Yeah, cool guy. Um. Got married pretty early. Was it love or when you say you got married pretty early? Was it love or oh, why did you love. get married? Okay. Oh, no, it was. We were like two young, crazy people. Just happy. Mommy agreed? They didn't know. Oh. 
We found out after. Okay. Yeah. I just lived my life. <laughs> Independent. So you. May my take children not do this to me. You take risks a lot? I do. Okay. I do what I want at the time that I feel that it's mm. right. Although now I'm learning to apply wisdom and learning okay. patience. Okay. But the me of then would do the move that I felt was right then at that time, like now. No holds back. I didn't feel tomorrow was promised to anybody and I didn't feel anybody needed to wait. I see. Okay. Yeah. So you got married? Yeah. Went to Canada? Yeah, I went to, to a little courthouse. Okay. I wore a pink suit with my <laughs> sorority pin. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and then we did that. It was great. Um, and then um, I was working as the executive assistant to the Dean Faculty of Medicine, University of Manitoba. So once again, I found myself back in the university. Um, and that was fine. And then my 25th, I decided that I was going to give birth to the Bobby Taylor couple. What prompted that decision? How did Bookie start the Bobby Taylor company? Why did she pick that masculine name? How did she break into the Nigerian market from Canada? How did the Bobby Taylor company evolve to what we know today as Robert Taylor Media? And what were some of Bookie's mistakes, lessons, and most learned moments? Find out next week on Origins Africa podcast. Thank you for listening to our show this week. If you liked it, do leave us a review, a comment, and share with your friends. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend and to tell another friend. We would also love to read from you. So please, do send us a tweet or leave a comment on Instagram at OriginsAF. You can also write to us at OriginsAfricaPodcast at gmail.com. Remember, do subscribe at wherever you get your podcast. Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, amongst others. Catch our one-to-one newsletter where we share with you one lesson, two quotes, and one question from each episode published. you find it at originsafrica.substack.com. Originsafrica.substack.com. And of course, if you like it, please click the like button, leave a comment, share with a friend, and don't forget to subscribe. Join us next time as we have a chat with Bookie George Taylor. She is the founder and managing director of Robert Taylor Media, as well as the founder of My Crawl App. I'm Oshaya, and you've been listening to Origins Africa podcast. Bye for now. My father told me life is not a bit of roses. You gotta put your way to the plow, do the work to smell the Yeah.